Amen. Amen. Wonderful music today, and what a privilege to share in the baptism, and uh, now to rejoice in the Word of God. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 4 through 8. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, going through verse 8. Now, on some cans, Coke cans, things along that line, you'll find a label, Contents Under Pressure. And if I was to check the label on the back of your shirt or your dress or your coat, I might find those words, content under pressure. Because there are some of you here this morning, and maybe many of you, who find yourself under a lot of pressure. You're worried, you're stressed, and a lot of issues may be going on in your, in your life. There was a homes stress survey that was done a few years ago. There are a lot of surveys like this out, but this particular one talked about the, the number one and number two, three, four, whatever stressors in a person's life. The number one stress that people have is when they lose a spouse. That's the number one stress. Lose a spouse, lose a child. And then from there is divorce, losing a job, retirement, and on down lots of other issues. So they grade them out. But those are, those are the top ones. And maybe somebody has been feeling that in their life and recognize those, those stresses. And this morning, I want to talk about surviving uh, seasonal stress because that translates the same survey into an event that we're about to participate in. In the same survey, it talked about what is the most stressful period in a person's life and over the course of a year. And it begins with Thanksgiving and runs all the way to New Year's. Starts with Thanksgiving. So we know that Thanksgiving's a week and a half from now. Christmas, as of yesterday, is six weeks away. New Year's, as of yesterday, is seven weeks away. And so this is a time period where there are a lot of people who have stress. And that stress, those worries, those concerns, are translated into, uh, how, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving meal or for Christmas? How are we going to get all the family together? What do I need to cook? Can I get my children, my grandchildren, and, and others I would like to have? You know, there's some people you want to have, and maybe there's some people you don't want to have, all right? So you're stressed about that. How are we going to circumvent that? How are we going to work around that? Then there's the finances. You start thinking about shopping, not only for the food, but for gifts and things along that line, and what should you get? And so you're, you're maybe worried about finances. What about time off? Time off from work or travel time? You, you have all of these issues. And then about, what about the shopping? Are you going to shop on Black Friday or Shameful Thursday? All right? So you're, you're thinking about all of these issues, and, and all of a sudden your walk becomes a sprint. Your walk becomes a sprint. And, and the stress level goes up, your blood pressure goes up, maybe you become angry, become frustrated. There are a lot of ways that this is seen and how it's played out in people's lives. So we want to talk about surviving seasonal stress. But not only is this good for the next seven weeks, what I'm about to share with you from the Apostle Paul can help us every day of our life, all year long. Your Bibles are open to Philippians chapter 4. Let me read it for you, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, 
think about such things. Now, you might look at verse 4 and say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. How can you do that? Can you rejoice all the time? And the answer is yes, you can. The Bible says you can. So in these next few moments, we're going to be talking four basic principles, four basic truths, four commands the Apostle Paul gives us to be able to survive seasonal stress, but actually every day of your life. So let's look at number one, worry about nothing. Verse 6, it simply says... In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. The, the Smithsonian Institute magazine had this to say. We are in the golden age of anxiety. The golden age of anxiety. I think they were right. In our life, we not only have to have micro worries, we have macro worries. The micro worries are those concerns that you have, your personal worries that you have right now. But we also have been doubled down in recent years with what we call macro worries. Because of our social media, because of the ease, whether it be television or our electronic devices, in real time we see what's happening, not only in Selma, Alabama, but in Alabama itself and across our country, around the world. I mean, in, in seconds we can know what's happened. We can know about rebellions and fights and accidents and all kinds of things are right there at our fingertips. We know about it. And not only do we have these, these micro worries in our life, now we've got macro worries. And, and it can bring us down. It can stress us. It can create issues. Uh, before this time, we, uh, for those of us who are older, we wouldn't get this kind of news, the macro news. We wouldn't get it until the nightly news. And we could trust Walter Cronkite to deliver the news to us without commentary. For younger, that was uh, a, an aged newsman who was very reliable on television. But today we have all of these kind of stresses in our life. Let me ask you a question. How many of you wake up to an alarm clock every day? Okay, you, did you hear what I said? You wake up to an alarm clock. Why can't we call it a comfort clock? All right, alarm clock. It already wakes you up to be negative. You don't want to get up. You don't want to have to face your day yet. You may not have got all your, your sleep out. But we call it the alarm clock. And then we watch Bad News America. You know, you turn on your television or whatever. Or you go to, again, your news app on your electronic devices, and all of a sudden it's negative, negative, negative. Or if you're on the way to work and you're listening to maybe, you know, talk radio, and you're getting the, the, the biases that way as well. But the Bible says, Paul says, we're not to be worrying about every, anything. Worry about nothing. A few years ago, a man by the name of, of Walter uh, Calvert did a survey. And in the survey, he talked about the, the worries that we have, the general worries. He broke it down in percentages, and it's easy to break it down into 10 worries. And he said, first of all, 40% of your worries, 4 out of 10 of your worries will never happen. You worry about things, 40% of them, 4 out of 10, they'll never happen. And then uh, there's another 30%, let's say another 3 out of that 10. Those are things you're worrying about, but they've already happened. They're in the past. And you're still worried about it. And, 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 and it doesn't control your future because your future is still out here somewhere, all right? And yet you're worried about it, but again, it's in the past. You need to let it go. Another 12% of your worries are insignificant. Just, there's nothing to it at all. Then there's another 10% of those worries 
that we find that are just needless health concerns. Needless health concerns. But then there's an 8%. 8% of things that really uh, are, are significant in your life. But you really shouldn't be worrying as we're talking about here. You may be concerned about them. and should be concerned. You may have to deal with them. But you still don't have to worry about them in your life. Someone says, well, I was just born a worrier. No, no one was born a worrier. You, you learned to worry. You learned it from your parents. You learned it from peers. You learned it from some experiences in life. And this is the good news. Because you've learned it, you can unlearn it. You can unlearn being a worrier in your life. You say, Pastor, how can you do that? Well, Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Someone has said this, Don't open your umbrella until it starts raining outside. Let that sink in. Don't open the umbrella until it's raining outside. That's when you open your umbrella. The same with worry or concern thinking, planning, whatever it is. And by the way, when we talk about this, we talk about living one day at a time. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Now, he wasn't saying you shouldn't plan for your future. You should. You plan whether to go to, go to school, uh, to, to get a good job, to take care of your family. All those things you need, you need to plan. You can strategize all of that. But don't worry about it. Take care of it day at a time. One day at a time. Live that way. I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Philippians, he was in prison and probably chained to Roman soldiers on each side of him. And he would eventually be martyred in Rome. But yet he says, worry about nothing. Even in Philippi, when he was in Philippi, he was jailed at one time, beaten and jailed. But when he wrote the letter, he was in Rome, and he said, don't worry about anything. So let's apply this. Let's apply it to where we are now. There are some of you that right now, you're freaked out because Thanksgiving is just a week and a half away. Either that or I'm making you stress by talking about it. Just talking about it can bring stress, especially those of you who are trying to get ready for Christmas already. But the point is this, some of us are doing, we're worried, we're worried about our schedule, worried about family, worrying about the finances, worrying about travel and getting time off and things along that line. What does the Bible says? The Bible says, do not worry. Now there's one good thing, when God tells us don't do something, he usually has something for us to do to put in its place. So here he's telling us, don't worry. Well, he has something to put in his place. It's number two. And he says, pray about everything. Notice in verse six. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. He's saying, pray about everything. Now, some of you may be saying, Pastor, I don't have time to pray. Well, why don't you spend the time praying that you're using to worry right now? Just take that time and start praying and stop worrying. I, I know that this has happened in my life, just like you. Wake up at night, and all of a sudden, all these things start popping up. You know, you're thinking about what happened yesterday. You think about what's going to happen that day, and maybe some plans, projects, whatever, relationship issues, whatever, they start coming to your mind. Well, I've learned through the years, start praying. Start praying. It's amazing that as you start praying and taking these things to the Lord, as we'll list here in a few minutes, that those worries begin to lessen in your life, and in fact, 
you find yourself kind of relaxed and you go back to sleep. But you take time to pray at this particular point. Notice it says, in every situation. Not just some situations. Not just the religious ones. Not just praying about, hey, my Bible reading, my service to the church, maybe my offering to the church, and, and, and things that concern ministry that are involved in the church. Don't only pray for those things. Pray for the small stuff. Pray about that car payment you got coming or that house payment. Pray about other issues. Pray you've lost your car keys. Pray about that. One of the things that I've learned from Arlinda is praying for the little things. And God's blessed her to teach me about that and how God's answered her prayers about little things when things go missing or whatever it may be. Then she would pray about it and then they would pop back up. Here we're reminded, the Phyllis translation says, when you pray, tell God every detail of your life. Tell God every detail of your life. Why? Because God's concerned about the big things and the little things in your life. Because he created you. And you're special to him. We all have individual fingerprints. We all have a voice print. He, he didn't make all the snowflakes alike. They're all individualized. He knows all of the, the sparrows that fall. He knows all the hair on your head or the lack of hair on your head. Okay, he knows all of these details. And he cares for you and he, he wants to be there for you in, in these details. Notice it says that we are to pray and petition. The word petition means be specific about your prayers. Whatever it is, be very specific in your prayers. Give the details. So often we pray for the missionaries. God bless all the missionaries. Well, let's stop blessing all the missionaries. Let's get down to just naming some missionaries. Follow their birthdays. Those are usually available to us as Southern Baptists. Those that have come through Elkdale Baptist Church, there's cards on the table around the church campus. Take those uh, cards of, of the missionaries that this church has either supported or been through the ministry of this church. And, and be specific in your prayers. Notice this in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The word cast, to cast all your cares, all your anxiety on him, that means to, to load up, to, to unload from you, but load up on God. Unload them from you. You can't carry them. They're too heavy for you. So give them over to God. Unload on God. Recognize that prayer is a release valve for us. And so why do you do this? Why, why do you cast all your cares? Because it says there, because he cares for you. He cares for you. He's personally concerned about everything in your life. He wants to look after you. He created you. He didn't wind this world up and go off and do his own thing. No, he's still vitally involved in this world and in your life and my life. A major insurance company did a survey a few years ago. What they discovered was this. That people that go to church regularly live five to seven years longer than people who never go to church. And there are many reasons for that. And I think one of them is this. We unload on God. We stop the worry. We let him worry for us. We let him take care of all the issues. So cast all your cares upon him. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. So ask God. Ask God for the details. Talk to him about your Thanksgiving plans, your Christmas plans, your shopping, the finances, the, the family members, all of those things. Take that to him. There is no problem, no issue, too small for him. So pray about all of those things. 
And that leads us to number three, and that is, thank God in all things. Notice he says in verse 6, with thanksgiving. So you're not to be anxious, not to worry. You're to pray about everything, the positive. But also he's added to this, let's be thankful in our life. Folks, gratitude is such an important, healthy attitude that we need to, to, to foster in our life. We need to cultivate this in our life. When you are thankful, it increases the immune system in your life. And it helps you to de-stress. It helps you to avoid some serious illnesses in your life. Grateful people are happy people. Ungrateful people, unthankful people, they're miserable. And they're complaining. And, and nothing is ever good enough for them. So you need to, need to have an attitude of gratitude. You don't want to be around those crabby kind of people. Be around people that are thankful. Cultivate that yourself and join in that crowd. A few years ago, Philip Robertson of the Duck Dynasty fame wrote a book that was entitled Happy, Happy, Happy. Now, last Wednesday night in my Bible study uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we, we talked about, the, the, about being joyful. And joyful is different than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. That's not what he was talking about in his basically talking about his book. He was talking about being grateful, being thankful. Have that kind of spirit in your, in your life. Happy, happy, happy. We love to sing one of the old hymns. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. So we spend time being thankful in, in, our, in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Often people ask, what's God's will? Well, running all the way through the Bible, you'll find the phrase, this is God's will. Now, we can also know God's will from all the other principles and things, even though it may not say that word. But in this case, it says that we are to be giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. Now, that word, in all circumstances, the word in is an important word. Don't, don't misunderstand it. It does not say, don't translate it, that we are to thank God for all circumstances. No, we don't do that. We don't thank God for car wrecks. We don't thank God for heart attacks and cancer and hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and all those kind of things. No, we don't thank God for evil in the world, murder and war. We just don't do that. But we thank Him in all the circumstances of this world. And that's the difference. We give thanks in these things. Even the bad in this world, God can take and use. So keep this in mind. Three, three basic principles. One, know that God has a purpose. Even in those difficult, challenging times, those problems and the bad things that happen in your life, the losses in your life, God has a greater purpose. You may not see it at this particular moment. I can't explain them all. I can't explain all the ones we've had in our family life. But through it all, the second thing is this. That in the midst of those issues, problems, crises we've been through, God will give us the power to walk through them, to get through them. He'll give us that ability. Just like Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. We walk through it. He'll give us the power to get through uh, the, the problem, the issue that we have in life. But the last one is this, the last principle. I will grow through the experience and I will allow it to help me to grow. I will grow. Whatever it is that happens, I'm going to let God use it. The bad that happens in my life, the losses, the problems, I'm going to let it help me grow. I shared with the first service um, this past Thursday, our Linda's sister and brother-in-law, they live in Albany, Georgia, and they've spent 45 plus years in ministry too. 
Um, our brother-in-law, Charlie, served as minister of education, minister to students through the years, associate pastor, senior adult pastor in various churches in South Georgia. And so they came to see our Linda, a little delayed birthday uh, meeting with, with her, and, and we had a great time. Thursday, our children came, had a great celebration, and they stayed till Friday. In the course of the four of us being together, we all grew up in the same high school and in the same church. And so we were all friends, but we also experienced some of the similar troubles and trials in our home church. Our home church split officially twice, and two other churches were formed out of it, and it, and it split a a unofficially third time because the pastor got in the pulpit and said well the sheep may leave but the shepherd's going to stay well the sheep left and the church never recovered even to this day never recovered to what it used to be back in the 60s and 70s but i shared this with you we endured that our families endured that and it could have turned us away but it didn't because we grew from it some of it was pastor problems some of it was member problems. It was both. It wasn't either or. It was both. But we learned from it. And I know that Charlie and I covenanted because we knew each other and, and through the years and have shared in ministry how that, okay, we've learned some things here that we don't want to be a part of. Don't want that to happen in the life of the church and how we deal with issues, solve problems, on and on. We grew from it. That's just one example of many times in my life, I hope in your life, that we may not know the purpose. It's bigger than us. But God will give us the power that will help us to grow through the experience. So we are thankful in all of those things. Again, Thanksgiving is a stress reliever. It's a stress reliever in our life. You say, how can I be grateful for the losses when I've lost a spouse, a child, when I've lost a job, finances, whatever? Stop thinking about your losses and start thinking about what you have left. You have your life. You still have some family. You still have friends. You have your church. You have some material things and blessings of life. So think about what is left, the positive side. Stop focusing on the problems and focus on that positive side. See, surviving seasonal stress, you're thankful. Thank God for all of these things and celebrate the life that God has given you, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever day it may be, our season that we find ourselves in, be thankful for it. Now, lastly, let's look at think about the right things. Look at verse 8 with me. Think about the right things. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. We need to make sure that we have the right mindset, the right thoughts about things in our life. It may be that you need to change the way that you're thinking. So your brain is like a computer. In a computer, whatever we put into that computer program, that, that's what's going to come out of that computer. Whatever you put into your brain, that's what's going to come out. That's how you're going to live your life. If, if, if you forget everything else, maybe I've said so far, don't forget this. Ever how you think, whatever it is that you think, is going to determine how you feel. And how you feel is going to determine how you act in life. Ever how you are thinking, what is, what's programmed in your head right now, that's going to determine how you feel. And how you feel is going to determine how you act. Now, I have to deal with a lot of people saying, well, when I feel like it, I'll get to it. No, you won't. 
If you're basing your decision based on feelings, you'll never get to it. It's going to have to be a change of mind. Then the feelings will come and then the actions will follow. I've dealt with a lot of people about salvation, including my dad, before he got saved. He, he didn't feel like it. I've had other people, I don't feel like it. But it wasn't until they changed their thinking, they saw God's truth. And once they saw the, God's truth, the feelings came and then the actions came as well. And so you start with what you think about. What is it that you're thinking about? Let me give an ex good example. One of the issues that we have to still face today has been here for quite a while. What do you watch on television? What movies do you watch? What do you see on Netflix? For those of you, that, uh, uh, young adults and teens, what kind of video games are you watching? Are you, are you into the violent ones? Well, then all these things are going to have influence in your life. And there are a lot of things out there that negatively influence our minds and our hearts. And so we need to start thinking, what is it that dominates our minds and dominates our hearts? Some of it may be quite unhealthy. So what are you thinking about? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? We need to think, fix your mind. And that means a conscious choice, a decision, deliberate on your part. Make that the aim to think on the right things in your life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What you're thinking about in the heart, that's what you are. This morning I was reading a little devotion by David Jeremiah. Uh, Arlinda was finishing uh, getting ready and, and coming into the kitchen. We were getting ready to go out the back door. But I had my, my, um, my phone, and every day I get a little thing from David Jeremiah. It was from uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're to be changed by what goes into our mind. Paul said it there. It's the same principle that we're reading here. What are you thinking about in your, in your life? Whatever it is, that's what you're moving toward. You say, I want to be like Jesus. Well, how much of the Bible are you reading? How much, of the, how much are you soaking in the life of Christ and his example and living out? Don't tell me that you that you're moving toward being like Jesus, but you never spend any time in the Word and in small group Bible studies and all those things that will help you to become more like Jesus. Now, let's wrap this up. Let's think for a moment. What's the results of doing these things? Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Thank God in all things. Think about the right things. I mean, what's the results? Look with me in verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want peace? I hear people say, oh, no, I just wish I had some peace. I want some peace of mind. Well, here it's outlined for us. Listen to it uh, in a modern translation. It says, if you do these things, what I just mentioned, the four things, if you'll do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet at rest as you trust or live in Christ Jesus. You want that kind of peace? Then you let Jesus be the one that stands guard in your life. Trust in him. We sang a song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word." This is Paul's version of the hymn. We trust in him. We let him stand sentry, guard over our heart. The word guard there is a, in the Greek is, a, is, a, is a, a military soldier. 
Philippi was a Roman colony. It had its own legion of Roman soldiers. They kept the peace. They protected the citizens. That's what Jesus wants to do with your heart, your mind. He wants to protect you so that you will have peace in your heart. And in doing that, he will give you peace in every area to keep you from being so stressed and worried. He will give you the quietness that you need. He will help you when you're under pressure. He will strengthen you in the midst of the storm. So what's worrying you this morning? Is it your marriage, the kids, your career, health, finances, relationships? What's going to happen in a week and a half, the week of Thanksgiving? What's going to happen in six weeks, Christmas? Something that's changing your life at the new year? Listen, if you follow Paul's plan and you let Jesus be the sentry, be the guard of your heart and of your mind, you will find peace that you could never imagine. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you pray this kind of prayer? Dear Lord, help me to worry about nothing but to unload my worries on you. Help me to cast my cares on you. Help me to pray about everything, the things that worry me, and to discuss them with you rather than worrying. Help me, Lord, to give you the details of my life. Help me in the, uh, to be a more grateful person. Lord, I want to develop an attitude of gratitude, and I want to be thankful to you in every situation. And I want to realize there's something to be thankful for. Lord, help me to think about the right things. Lord, I want to spend more time in the Bible every day, reading your word and becoming like you. Fill my mind with positive thoughts, not the negative garbage that's out in the world. And I ask you to put your peace in my heart. Guard my heart. As your heads are still bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's somebody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You saw Beck baptized. Beck came in childlike faith. Yes, he's a child, but he came in childlike faith. He heard from his parents that he had to admit that he is a sinner, that he had broken God's laws. Even as an, uh, a, a young child, he had, broken, he had broken God's laws, his commandments. And that created a sin debt he couldn't pay, so he had to believe in Jesus, God's son, who died on the cross for his sin debt. And he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sin. And invited Jesus into his heart and confessed him as Savior and Lord. Maybe there's somebody here. And you may be a, a, a student. You may be a young adult, senior adult. And you've not done this yet. I invite you. In the quietness of this moment, just like Beck did. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Confess him as Savior and Lord. And then on the authority of God's word, you'll be forgiven. And if you were to die this day, you'd spend eternity in heaven. Not because of good works, not because how many times you've read the Bible, how many times you've been to church, how much money you've given, but because you've settled the sin debt by letting Jesus be your righteousness. He paid the price. And you have surrendered your heart, humbled yourself as a child. Well, you have an opportunity to make that public. To come and share just like Beck did. 
a few weeks back and follow the Lord in obedience and baptism and become a part of his church. In a moment, we'll give you an invitation. We'll invite you. Maybe there's somebody here who has been visiting your guest of Elkdale, but it's time to, to make a decision to become a part of this family in a formal way. Move your membership. Come by statement from a church of like faith and order. Be a part of this church. It's a Bible-believing church. And even though the, we don't have the lead pastor yet, a committee's working, God's got a man out there, they'll all get together. But for now, go ahead and cast your lot with this great church. Become a part of this family. We invite you to come during the invitation. Father, speak to us. Let your will be done as we think not only the seasonal stress, but every day. May we give all our worries to you. May we be thankful unto you, Father. And then, Father, may we have a, an attitude that we are going to be grateful, but also that we'll have the century, the peace that passes all understanding in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name.